Welcome to Mind Sparked, Mind Blown, the podcast that asks, so, is that what you think? And discusses the endless list of things that enrich, condition, and influence our daily or professional lives. My name is Nick Aramuni, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ava Berliner. And we want to thank you for joining us on our fresh and new podcast. In the coming weeks and months, we will be delving into the many hot topics and trends that affect the way we conduct our lives all across the globe. We will discuss, laugh, and debate some of the world's most controversial moments, but most importantly, we will uncover some valuable insight into what it's like to live a life in a world outside of our own. And our topic for today is expatism, and our guests are Kat and Norbs, who are both uh, our colleagues here at MindSpark. And uh, I would like to ask both of you to please introduce yourselves in a few sentences and uh, tell us who you are and tell us a few things about yourself. Kat, would you start, please? Sure, happy to. Um, and thank you for having me as the very first guest on the podcast. Uh, my name is Kat, short from Katerina, originally from Bulgaria, based in Berlin, where I have been living and working for the past almost eight years um, as a researcher, first starting off in market research and then transitioning into user research. I am currently um, research lead at MindSpark, working alongside you guys on the spaceship, bringing exceptional user experiences and insights that inspire. Um, yes. <laughs> That's Solid that. intro. Solid, solid. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you. Norbs, now it's your turn. Yeah, and I feel like Catherine already did my job for me. Like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the marketing guy, you know, like <laughs> selling the company and Kat was just like, solid. So anyway, yeah, I'm Norbert, 29 this year, um, originally from Hungary to uh, Hungarian and Turkish parents. Um, I've been living in Spain for about two years now. Before that, I lived in Sweden for four years. Um, so seven years out of Hungary. And well, I'm the marketing lead at MindSpark. And that's all about me. Okay, thank you. Just a side note uh, that uh, what I think our audience should know is that uh, Norbs and I have known each other for quite a long time. And Nick and Kat have also known each other for quite a long time. And now we all work together uh, at MindSpark. So it's a pretty nice team. And we have a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, uh, we do. <laughs> but going back to, to our topic, I, my next question to you uh, is, uh, when did you move first for work and why, Kat? For work. Uh, I first moved for my studies. Um, mm -hmm. I was 20 in my third year of my bachelor's in sociology. And I really wanted to escape Bulgaria for a bit, uh, see how life is somewhere else. Um, I had been uh, part of a children's choir as a young teenager. And one of the first places that we went to uh, on tour with the choir were Spain and Portugal. And I was completely in love with Spain. So it was the obvious choice for me. I found an exchange program between my university and the University in Madrid. Uh, I applied, I got a space there. Um, I was supposed to stay for four months, but I loved it so much that I 
stayed for almost eight months, uh, not jeopardizing my graduation at all. <laughs> but yeah, it was just such an incredible experience. I am still in touch with some of the people that I met there. It was, I won't say how many years ago exactly, but uh, more than 10 years ago. And yeah, wow. I still remember it vividly. Wow. It's part the, yeah, the global trotter uh, <laughs> part in me for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Because you've been so many places now too, Kat. Like I know that you've moved around and at least traveled. That all, all came from that one moment? Like that was the moment? I think that, I mean, yeah, if I have to trace it back to the specific moment, it was probably during that first tour of... Uh, Southern Europe that I did with my fellow singers inside a bus of screaming children. All of us super excited to explore the world. Uh, so yeah, ever since then, I've been uh, either living somewhere else or dreaming of moving somewhere or yeah, just not, uh, not living with my parents and um, in my hometown. Okay. The independent life around the world sounds like everybody's dream or <laughs> a lot of people's dream i would say uh okay norbs what about you um i was not i think i was slightly older than cat i think i was 22 when i finally took the plunge and actually um you know just packed my sold all my things packed my suitcases of whatever i had left and just you know take that little save money that we had or I had and just take off and it was actually you Eva who who took me to the airport so it's really fun I remember <laughs> yeah so it was in 2015 um and the story start started a lot earlier I think I was about 15 16 when I realized I don't want to live um in Hungary and I wanted to live somewhere else it was right around the time and I discovered um, American TV shows and saw that, you know, life could be different and that people could be different. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff obviously happened between or like between that point in time and the time when I actually left or made the decision to leave. But basically one big trigger point was a trip to San Francisco that I took in, in 2014. I was there for 10 days at New Year's Eve. And it was my first big trip, like solo, alone. And, you know, I flew to Paris and from Paris, I took another plane 12 hours to San Francisco. And it was so super incredible because I never thought that I would actually ever make it to that side of the ocean because, mm -hmm. you know, Hungary is a poor country. So there's no illusions there. You're not able to like afford a ticket that costs you like almost a thousand dollars. So, and I didn't, I could and afford it. It was one of my good friends who lives, still lives in San Francisco, at least in the Bay Area, who helped me like paid and paid half of my ticket. So that trip was like a designing factor, I think, for me and for my expat life today, because uh, I saw that again, people can be different, things can be different, things can actually work. Um, and the reason was also because I wanted to. <clears throat> the reason of moving later it was. Because I wanted to, you know, have some more opportunities, some new opportunities, have more chances to grow as a person, as a professional, to learn a new language, to experience a new culture. And for me, 
<clears throat> and also like full disclosure, obviously, um, as an LGBT, as a person or as like a member of the LGBT collective, for me, it's also a very big factor of what I can do in a country and what I can. So obviously in Hungary, um, things are not great. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and they're not turning great either. So I needed a country where I can be myself and where I have at least equality when it comes to marriage or any other kind of rights. So, and that a country that's open-minded. So that's like my reasons. Those are my reasons of moving. Okay. Um, I have a question to basically both of you, uh, but it's very good that you mentioned this possibility. Uh, that you feel that you have more possibilities when you move abroad from Hungary. Kat, do you have did, or did you have the same feeling? Was it one of the reasons why you decided that you, you want to move? Yes, so I was thinking about that while Norbs was talking. Indeed, I mean, coming from a Eastern European country that uh, uh, probably lives in most people's minds is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a challenging place to grow up in. There are not that many opportunities. The economy is bad. Um, civil rights and social justice and all of this, uh, freedom of media on a completely different level. So there are many angles to it. On the one hand, you want to be part of a well-working society <laughs> um, you want to know that there are people like you out there you want to feel like a part of a community you want to have a job that you can really shine in and without being related to someone who heads a company or has the connections uh, so for me, it was just a desire for freedom on so many different levels, economical, but mostly, yeah, like social and communal and yeah, just a desire to meet people who are different. Uh, I've always wanted to to explore as much as I can. And yeah, I, I could never imagine anything worse than just staying in my home time for the rest of my life, which is perfectly fine for so many people. And many of my friends that I grew up with have never left and I have huge respect for them. I understand now what they have, but it's never been what, what I wanted. I've always wanted to see something else, make some comparisons, connections. Yeah, explore. Yeah. And you became a researcher. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, and that's the route that you went. It's interesting, too, because you look back and exactly what you just said, you see people doing, you know, what, what would have been what your life looks like. Not necessarily a bad thing, but then you also see, look, look what it looks like now. You know what I mean? Exactly. But I, I, I'm only able to tell this because I have this all of this experience that has helped me reflect on, on all of that, where you're coming from, who you are. Yeah. Um, uh, a trajectory, I suppose, a journey. That initial boost to get you going, of course, to Norbs. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with the fact that, you know, there's it's it's completely OK to stay put. And there's nothing, nothing, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, I just didn't see it happen for me. Like I knew that it was not going to happen. Like even before moving to another country, I had already moved to another city for my studies. Obviously, and I was living, um, I, I will say alone, but not independently 
or still depending on my parents in a way financially, because obviously while you're studying, well, parents help you out as much as they can. Um, but yeah, that was also one of the factors for me as well to be financially independent. Mm. And I didn't see that happening either in my country, even though I was working full time, I had a pretty decent job. Like I, I was teaching, um, but it was just not enough or it was not what I had in mind for me. Mm, okay. um, sorry, sorry to uh, just add one note. Uh, those of you who don't know, uh, teaching is not a well-paid job in Hungary. So we also should add that. that it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not well-paid almost anywhere. I don't think. I think that's uh, yes, half the problem. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but in Hungary, it's really, really bad. So I think that's also something that the listeners should know. Uh, that you cannot really make a living from teaching or it's very, very uh, difficult. Or you uh, have to do the... certain, maybe another job, another part-time job, or you have to do it on your own, like to private tutoring or like something to complement your income. But just mm-hmm. on a full-time job teaching, you're not going to get by. That's interesting because actually on this topic, of because I, I have my teaching degree and I think about how often people here are like, oh, I'm going to go travel to, by the way, I'm in Canada, for those of you who are wondering, um, I'm going to travel to Europe and go teach or I'm going to go to Dubai and go teach. So it almost becomes like an expat, like you want to go do those things. You become a teacher so you can travel. Uh, it's also yes. interesting to hear on the other side of things. It's like, well, don't come travel here necessarily because you uh, won't make a living doing it. Actually, that's very good that you mentioned this, Nick, and I think this is something very important a bit, but not off topic because it's still about expertism. I know that there are many, many people, especially from the English speaking world, uh, who want to become a teacher so that they can live the expert life, like have online classes, move here, teach English, do that, whatever. And they make a pretty decent living. Now, from our side, uh, and this is just something, again, to to note, uh, especially when the language teaching world um, if you are not a native, then you already have a disadvantage, uh, both professionally and financially. And that's not because mm-hmm. you are not so good as a teacher. You can even be better. But the moment they hear that you are not a native speaker, it's way harder to get a job. And even if you get a job like in Hungary, if uh, we have an American teaching English, their salary doubles the, hung- uh, uh, the Hungarian's salary. So uh, for us Hungarians or uh, from, I would say, generally or very often non-native speakers, Mm, being language teachers is not as fancy uh, as for uh, for you Canadians, for example. You okay. Canadians. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that actually, I think, is a perfect segue into, I mean, we talked about the impacts of wanting to move or the influences. The next thing I think is important to know is what sort of tools you think you would need. I mean, if you were to go back and even the first time you moved for work or for school or whatever that looked like, if you could name like three or four tools, what sort of things or resources do you think you would have liked to have? And Norbert, I'll, I'll bounce back to you um, since you did like a nice little, I'm hopping on a plane and going here right now. Uh, I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are on that. I think I think the biggest and most important tool that you can have is the language. Now that we're already talking about teaching and teaching languages, it's the language and that's like period. There are countries, obviously, like, for example, Sweden. When I moved to Sweden, I didn't speak Swedish, right? You can get by perfectly whole your life without speaking a word of Swedish because most of the population, and I'm saying most, like 80% at least speaks fluent English. So it's really easy to get by. But what happens? Um, 
once you learn the local language, and I, I assume this is true not for not only for Sweden but for most countries that, that are not English speaking, you get you automatically get more respect. Like when it comes to doing, I don't know, administrative stuff or going to the bank, going to the doctor, whatever, anything that you have to, like any chores or anything that you have to get done or any errands that you need to run, you need to speak the language because you're going to get by easier. You're going to go through the motions easier. You're, it's just, everything's just easier. So the most important tool is the language and the language also gives you insight into the culture and the soul of the country. So that's, I think if there's one tool you need, instead of three, I'm going to just say oh, that one. Interesting. Cause my first thought is like, I think half the time, maybe North American culture, it's like money. Money is the answer. You need more money. I mean, <laughs> it helps, but <laughs> the language, I guess without language, you can't make money. So <laughs> makes sense. Kat, I saw you like kind of nodding or going yeah, on. No, I totally agree. I was also thinking, I mean, on what Norm said, definitely the language opens doors. It also allows you to communicate with many different types of people, ages, demographics that you don't necessarily even, I have a very similar experience um, from Berlin, Norbs, just like what you said about Sweden. It's totally possible to get by without speaking the language just because Berlin is such an international city and everyone speaks English to a certain extent, maybe not as fluent as the sweet, but like the moment you need to communicate with the elderly or people with a migration background or someone who is not uh, yeah, a millennial Gen Z generation, it, it becomes much more difficult and having an appreciation of the local language, showing interest, at least showing some effort, if not fluency, um, is definitely changing uh, locals' perspective on, on you as well. Um, and in terms of the resources, I have a very practical tip, actually. Well, probably depends on whoever um, is listening and their idea of where they want to go next. How do I start about uh, researching my journey? But there are so many Facebook groups with expat tips and, and tricks and links with resources that weren't uh, there when I was starting my journey just because I'm ancient. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't just so many um info out there on the internet but nowadays you can find amazing resources with links to useful bureaucracy procedures things that you absolutely need to do on in the first week when you land somewhere uh tips for places to go to of course that's the inevitable <laughs> recommendations but yeah also a, a lot of pretty useful info can be found in Facebook. Technology again. Hey? And staying on that practicality uh, note, uh, so what do you think are the biggest challenges when it comes to the moving itself? So not living, but when you move, when you pack your bag and go to the airport and then <laughs> what happens? All of a sudden you're in a new country and, and <laughs> actually on that note, thinking too, like how, how does technology even shape those challenges now and before too, right? Like you saying that, asking that question, I go, well, even... Yeah, technology too has probably influenced that, but I'll, I'll let you to uh, decide that for yourselves, Kat. 
Yeah, I'm just gonna super quickly jump onto that because I was thinking exactly about my very first arrival in Madrid without knowing anything about the city. I think I had like a printout of some sort of a Google map or some kind of a, a rudimentary map solution that was common at that time. I hadn't checked um, yeah, Google Maps to see the satellite pictures of the neighborhood I was going to live in. I, I hadn't spoken to anyone who's already there. So it was just so, I'm thinking about it now and just wondering how did my parents let me do this on my own <laughs> um, but yeah somehow it was all easy after all and nowadays you can do all of these steps in advance you can already find an apartment without even having set foot in uh, the city you're moving to you can meet people you can arrange you can have dates before you <laughs> <laughs> there, you can already meet people that can help you settle uh, easier, I guess. Um, but yeah, the challenges are always there. I think if you're moving to a place where you don't necessarily know anyone um, and you have to start from scratch, that can be a challenge with or without technology, but also super exciting. I guess, yeah, that's kind of, maybe that's part of the influence too, is like that. We both mentioned about like just getting landing somewhere that might be part of what the rush is, right? Of being an expat or a student abroad is, oh shit, I'm here. <laughs> what do what I do now? now? <laughs> what do I do now? Happening, yes. So you're, you're dying. No, on that note, actually, like what the biggest challenge was for me, both in Sweden and in Spain and in any country I would imagine, is, is getting to getting used to how the country functions. Like, what does that mean? Okay, um, where do you go if you need, I don't know, some kind of permit? Um, what conditions you need to meet if you want a mortgage? What, how, what are the steps to buying property? How does the school system work? Um, how does the judicial system work? Like all these kind of things that are like super apparent to you because you grow up in, in a certain country and you've been actually through like school, whatever. You've maybe had to buy something, do something, and you, you automatically know the processes that go into this. But if you move somewhere else, you're like, um, what? <laughs> you like the administrative stuff you, don't, you have no idea about. And it's not just that. Like, for example, the, the post office works completely different in a different way in Sweden, in Hungary and in Spain. And if you're trying to buy, I don't know, a bunch of nails to, you know, to put, to hang a picture or something, you're going to go to a different store. And I'm, I don't mean like a different brand. I mean a different, completely different store in Spain and in Sweden and in Hungary. So it's like learning those, getting used to how things work and where you go and what you do if you need something. I think that's like the biggest thing for me to get used to. And once you get used to it, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's basically just there. It's, me it's memory. Mm. I think it's interesting that so far we've talked about the things that like we can control when we go somewhere. Like for instance, like we just talked about, you know, I could do this or I could plot myself this way or understanding like Norbs, for instance, I wouldn't have thought there's different mailing systems for sure. These are all things that you learn to control. I think what's the other side of, I mean, being the diversity aspect of things, the things you can't control and sort of like when you land somewhere, your culture or who you are and the stigmas around maybe um, being LGBTQ or for me, I'm Greek, Lebanese, and I lived in Cyprus where there was like a Turkish Greek divide. Um, 
what sort of influences do you think that has on where you've been? Because I, again, it, it's interesting to think about what we can control. Um, what about the things we can't? Yeah. Or, Very good topic. I mean, even the fact that we're talking about some, some people that move countries as expats and others are migrants, I think that already shows us that there are quite a lot of political implications that, you are, that are out of your control. It's uh, no one's choosing where they're born, in which circumstances, all of that, with which kind of passport are you traveling? Like, I, when I first moved abroad, uh, Bulgaria was still not part of the European Union. And uh, the freedom of, move, of movement that all EU countries uh, enjoy and has become almost something that we don't even talk about just because it's in our fa fabric almost of the society. So no one's really paying any attention to that, but it's such an amazing right to have such a privilege in a way. Like I remember having had to stop at country borders, show my luggage to um, to the police or yeah, whoever the controlling organ at every single country's border was. Um, so yeah, there is definitely, this is undeniable. Whatever your passport title says, uh, <laughs> is opening doors and closing others. Uh, so yeah, I think we can appreciate what we have. Uh, and also, yeah, we, the EU countries, uh, but also unique, I guess you can speak to that. You can't really jump on a plane to the US, for instance, right? You need like if you if you need to go for work, you need a special permit. So all of these little procedures and <laughs> regulations are everywhere. It's quite a process to do any of that. Actually, <laughs> everything involved with it is a pain. I've looked into it. It can be quite challenging to get to the states. Uh, Norbert, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't recall like uh, a specific situation when I felt like I was stigmatized because of my ethnicity or my sexuality or or anything like I'm sure there's been like microaggressions or stuff that maybe didn't re register with me because I just you know tend to go like I, I, I don't tend to pay too much attention to that because why but um, I don't know in Sweden I think um, most people are welcoming, I would say, in Sweden and in, in all over the world, probably most of the world, not all the world. Um, and I think based on if if you take physical appearance, for example, I could pretend to be Swedish perfectly. Like I have blue eyes. I'm not perfectly <laughs> like super black hair. I have like in the summer, I'm like, you know, a bit more blonde even. So. I could pretend to be Swedish pretty nicely. And even when I spoke, I people would tell me I have a very convincing accent and they would be surprised that I wasn't born in Sweden. And so I'm like, oh, cool. This oh, is, wow. I didn't know. And so in Spain, I'm a bit more exotic. If, if again, we take appearance, for example, like if, if I'm not tanned enough, maybe I'm going to be a, a giri, which, you know, tourist in, in Spanish, like that's what they call it, a bit pejorative, but not really. And, but then I open my mouth and, you know, they realize that I'm not from here. So that's all, that's again, something that goes back to language. Like even if you try really hard to, to speak perfectly, and even if you speak perfectly, your dialect or accent will give you away. But I, I never actually had 
um, atrocities or like negative um, experience because of that. I think I don't know about you, Kat. What do you think about that that aspect of stigma? Yeah, I mean, I, yes. As I mentioned, I've I've seen how you can be treated differently depending on whether you're part of a community like the European Union or not. Um, I've personally, um, yes, microaggressions for sure, just what you said, Norbs. And there are ways that you, I mean, in, at the beginning, once you're new to a country, it's a little bit hard to know, am I being mm. <laughs> discriminated against because of my nationality, because I'm a woman, because I'm... Uh, yeah, whatever other aspect of your personality that you might think might attract uh, unnecessary attention or um, unwelcome attention. So, um, yes, I have to say that it's, I think it's quite possible that at some point you might be discriminated against, especially in, in all in the access to information and in the access of knowledge about how what you said, Norbs, how the system operates in a specific place. And it's not necessarily something that's done on purpose, but there are just very few resources in some places. Again, some cultures are so much more welcoming and open to migration and are mm -hmm. actually doing conscious efforts. Canada, <laughs> <laughs> make life easier for people who, are, who are, have first landed in a place, but not all countries are like that. I think European countries can be very stubborn and traditional in that sense. And everyone is so much relying on their glorious past and ways of life, which, which makes Europe such an interesting uh, continent and such an interesting place of contrast. But at the same time, it's so difficult to navigate if you're coming from a different culture. So I think, again, with my user researcher hat on, there is so much that technology <laughs> can be doing to alleviate this journey and to make processes and access to information uh, out there, open for everyone, mm. translated into English or whatever uh, language the, the biggest diasporas uh, speak. So yeah, I'm actually very passionate about that. I think it's interesting as you say that to you know what i think about as you all were talking about that i don't know if anyone's been to australia but the first time i went to australia i was completely shocked at how many different cultures not were there um, because canada is very similar but how many cultures said they got there arrived loved it met a bunch of people from different countries and never left and just stayed like there i was there for a couple months i think a year and a half ago and there were so many people that were like yeah i came here met someone got married oh i came here on a student visa never left i've been here 10 years and i think a lot of that has to do with like the welcoming aspect of of uh and uh, how about the fact that it's so far away you can't really go. <laughs> once you're there you might as well make the most of <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's true. a longer journey so you decide just stay i don't want that journey again you can get through the whole harry potter series on your flight there and still have time i think it's a long flight. That's a long flight. Long flight from pretty much everywhere. But I love it. I would move to Australia. It's beautiful. <laughs> if you guys haven't gone, you should go for sure. I think that's just me, though. It's not about me. 
<laughs> Ava, I see you have you're nodding along there. You got yeah, I, I'm nodding along actually. Like, yeah, it's like it would be nice to visit Australia. So uh, <laughs> I absolutely agree. But uh, I was having another question in my mind uh, about being expert. So one of the challenges, I think we are lucky, let's say that, that we are lucky. We are we're working for the best company ever. Uh, we can work from anywhere we, we want to. So we have a pretty good uh, start for that uh, now. But uh, when people usually move, they, they move. And uh, once they move, they start looking for a job. So my question uh, to you basically is how much does your um, cultural or ethnical background count when you move abroad and you want to find a job? Mm. Eating hard questions. I know, I know. I'm good at asking the very difficult questions. I've come to find that actually a lot of people have very little idea of where Hungary is yeah. or what Hungarians are like because they've chances are they're never really they have never met a Hungarian before you or before me or whatever you know so uh, maybe they've been to like if you're lucky they've been to Budapest and then they're like oh it was so cool it's so pretty you know it's um, there's like huge parties baths whatever um, but I've never found in my personal experiences this is obviously not like um, descriptive of the whole thing but like I've never been I've never found that I'm less than anyone else because of where I come from like I don't know that's that's I don't I can't answer that more elaborately. I don't think you should. I think that's amazing. I think that's super good to hear too for those people who are like not so optimistic about what it means to be like a person, individual in this world. So I'm super yeah, happy but, you said. Uh, but sorry, I will play the critical. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Norbert, because I know you and I know uh, uh, how it all started. So when you moved to Sweden the very first time. Uh, for example, before here in Hungary, you were a teacher, you were teaching English. Uh, was that a possibility actually for you? You had a profession at that time. Was that, and when you moved to Sweden, was it a possibility for you to start teaching right it then was. when you moved? It was, okay. It was, and it would have been. I just didn't want to. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Is it because of your experience here or because you just thought it wasn't worth it? Like, what, no, because I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to start new, you know, like everything that I've known, that I had known before, I'm like... Mm -hmm. Out the door. Mm. You change your name too. <laughs> you should have gotten a fake ID norms and just completely changed. Totally. That's awesome. I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. What about you, Kat? Yeah. Um. Again, I'm pretty sure that it matters where you're coming from in terms of do you need a visa to work. That's the first hurdle, and it's a big one for some countries and. For some people coming from certain countries, um, once you have these, uh, yeah, bureaucratic challenges in place, at least you know there are certain ways so you can work towards and get all of this documentation, all of this paperwork. And then I guess in theory, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, we now have all of these disclaimers um, in job applications and all of that, that no one can be discriminated against mm -hmm. um, from companies across the globe. And 
yeah, I suppose no, <laughs> no one can be discriminated against. But the very fact that you have people, you have a huge pool of uh, candidates who have access to top quality education, either for free here in Europe again, or I mean, of course, there are private universities that are definitely not uh, free to attend, or you have access to student loans and all these mechanisms that kind of prepare you to join the elite workforce. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, you're probably more discriminated by the lack of a diploma from certain places um, than by your nationality. But again, it, it definitely uh, varies a lot with industries and countries and markets. So... I wouldn't want to generalize, but I'm pretty sure that I have been discriminated in the past. Uh, but again, I mean, you can be, are you discriminated against because you're an, you have only been an intern before applying for this job? Is it because of your nationality? Is it because you didn't remove uh, your picture from the CV and they just didn't like the, the way you, you came out on, on the picture? Or, yeah, I mean... It's, it's a little bit hard to tell. At least we now know that we have all of these mechanisms in place that we can use to protect ourselves from discrimination. So that's, that's another positive, I think, for everyone who is looking to make a move out there and not sure about whether it's the right thing for me. Am I going to be okay in this new bureaucratic system? Uh, yeah. The other question is, of course, how to navigate this and how to even find out about all of these uh, existing yeah. <laughs> totally existing policies. But they are, in most cases, they are out there. So, yeah. I think yeah, this is a full disclosure and maybe a slightly off topic. So we're talking about like discrimination and like diversity in a sense when you apply for jobs. And um, my name, my full name obviously isn't Nick. Aramuni, it's a lot more Arabic and long. Um, so when I apply to places that are like, when I'm looking for a job um, that are like diversity centered, I use like my Arabic name. So it's like, oh, um, <laughs> this will really help me get a job. So when I apply let's to like talk a, about who's changing their names, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's almost like you use it in in reverse sometimes, right? Like thinking of the psychology of it. Um, that yeah, if I'm applying to a place that maybe doesn't echo diversity necessarily uh, on grand scale i could go with with nick but if i'm going to a place that's yeah international or blah 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 i always use my super long arabic name so it's like i belong here and uh, it's almost like that fit in thing too though right i just thought that was interesting as you were saying that cat um maybe being discriminated against or for me it's like using it sometimes to an advantage yeah yeah for sure but yeah, just being aware of these very different biases that people have and how to navigate that to your benefit, why not? Then, yeah, that's already a huge advantage to have. And I think it's something that comes with experience and also, yeah, with knowledge and information that you can... Mm. No, I agree, like all the, all the negative things that we... Um, or anyone experiences because of discrimination or because of bias. Well, if you can turn that around and use it to your advantage, why not? 
Like I say, go for it. I will do it. I have done it and I will do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not sorry, but like, you know, you do what you have to do to get ahead. (laughs) <laughs> the podcast about how to get a job actually we've changed the name <laughs> just now for all your listeners um as we're talking about the different places we've gone and the different experiences we've had i want to ask us a very easy simple question um what's the favorite place you've been and what's the best experience that you can come up with let's say work related um maybe not um necessarily school or it's a place that you've gone for work or maybe you've gone on research or maybe norbs you've you've gone to a conference um what's the best place you've gone for work related events and and what was so good about it what did you enjoy about it and i see cat like oh man i've been so many places how am i going to answer this (laughs) really that's good to know i don't don't think i can choose like i really don't think I can choose, like, I was working as a flight attendant for many years, so I've been like, that's work, right? Yeah, yeah. So totally. I've been just too, too many places to choose from, so, you know, exactly. this was just a great experience in itself. Wow. That's really an unfair advantage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I also, I think it's very hard to, to select just one favorite place, but if I can speak about one place whose culture towards non-native or no sorry the whose culture against um so, uh, sorry guys this will need to be cut um foreigners or newly arrived population or um basically anyone who doesn't look like the majority of the population i think i've been very impressed with what i've seen in canada and to a certain extent in uh, in Australia, uh, as Nick mentioned before, uh, which, I mean, it definitely has some uh, troublesome history with uh, how it's been dealing with native populations, but it's definitely developing as a very welcoming uh, nation. And yeah, Canada as well. I was super impressed with how pretty much every, I don't know if it was because of the industry that, we were working in, which is culture and music, um, and all of the focus groups, all of the interviews and the events that I attended and organized there were starting with the necessarily um, opening of uh, showing appreciation for the local um, tribes and the local native populations, which was something that I had never known existed as a procedure in official meetings and i was so impressed by that i thought that was amazing because it it gives the the respect to the first nations to the nature to the environment surrounding uh everything that society has achieved and yeah i was like wow this is this is so great and as a foreigner as someone who has just arrived to the country it already creates a very very interesting, very welcoming idea of hmm. how the locals are, which I hope it's true. It holds true, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's super interesting that you say that. I'm super thankful you say that. Um, recognizing the indigenous lands that we live on here in Canada is a big thing. Um, I'm sure you've seen if British Columbia, Alberta, everywhere. It's really something that we're trying to focus on. But it's also actually a pretty big pain point um, because it feels like it's 
not been celebrated or maybe still semi not appreciated. So we do take the time to say, to appreciate, you know, for those of you that don't know, um, oftentimes when you open a speech or maybe sometimes at school, you'll thank the indigenous land that you're currently on or the territories or the tribes, and then you'll, you'll actually get to what you're doing. But the first thing is to acknowledge, it's, it's called the acknowledgement of the land. You do that first. Um, just to show that appreciation. But more and more, it's becoming still, it's still a pain point. So it's good that we do it, and I'm, I'm thankful that we do it. And even as an educator before, it was something that we tried to teach as well, um, as often as possible. Um, but I appreciate you saying that. I just think that there's always a lot more work to do. And um, if you look at some of the histories that have existed there, um, I don't want to turn this into a dark conversation right now, but there's, there's some, there's some dark, there's some dark history there too. So I think, um, it's good that we're taking those steps, but I feel like a lot more people would think that there's more to do, um, in that light. But I do appreciate you saying that for sure. Um, Norbert, I don't know how you're going to top that. Canada is already like, you can't Let's all you want... move to Canada. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. I'm trying to get out of here. No, <laughs> no it, it is amazing. Um, Norbs, I guess you just default to Canada now. I mean, you can make something up, but no one's going to believe you for the best country. So, no, I'm kidding. Um, what were you thinking? I'm actually pretty impressed with Spain as it is. Like, I, I never knew Spain to be the country or a country to be so, um, like, well, well, welcoming, yes, but like in terms of gender equality, marriage equality, and like everything that's, you know, because. Spain has a checkered past, let's admit. Like there was um, someone who's not to be named here uh, who <laughs> ruled for many, many years. And um, and ever since the 60s, the 70s, everything's just super open and super um, like, I don't know. I don't know how to like, everything's just, everything's just, um, I don't know. We'll cut this part too. Just forget about it. <laughs> No, it's I think it's crazy, actually, right? yeah. we are not going to cut this part, sorry, Norbs, uh, because I think what you're saying is actually very, very um, important and interesting. And this would be basically my next question. So uh, what about the places uh, where you live, like uh, Spain and Germany? Like, uh, I didn't know, for example, before we... Uh, before you started telling me about Spain, uh, that uh, it's so open and people are so accepting and uh, equality plays uh, such an important part. Mm. So my question is, um, like, uh, um, how, how, how does it feel? Like, I know that you both, uh, and I know Berlin is pretty similar, but I think the... Mm, or some parts of Germany are not so open. Uh, so this is a question kind of both of you, like uh, uh, how does it feel? What are the, the things that make it so amazing to live in, let's say an open society or an open-minded society, I would rather say. Kat. <sighs> Why me? Okay, so because Norris, Norris is like, I don't know what to say. Why me? Why me? No, no, no. I can speak so much to this. Um, as you as you just said it, Evie, uh, Berlin, where I live, and which is the only place in Germany where I I have lived for longer than a few months, and the only place that I can see myself living in Germany is very different. It's a huge city. It has a population of almost 4 million. They're from all over the globe. It's because of its history. Um, it's been very welcoming to um, 
both populations with migrant backgrounds that were needed for the workforce post-war and also to artists uh, because no one else basically wanted to live in all of these destroyed uh, neighborhoods and buildings without central heating and all of that. Uh, that doesn't really appeal to the um, bourgeoisie or like the well-off populations uh, of other German cities. So it's already, already been the underdog, like economically, uh, not necessarily the nation's uh, stronghold, but the city with very open spirit already from the beginning of the 20th century, a lot of music, theater, cabaret, um, all kinds of uh, minorities are welcomed and all kinds of expressions um, and arts are funded. Um, it's a very conscious effort by the local government that the city is working to attract people who work in the creative industries. It's funding music clubs, it's funding startup incubators. So it's a very um, present uh, experience that you have of the city just being populated with young and creative people, which is something that gives you so, such a different energy from anywhere else that I have lived. And it also makes it very hard to move somewhere else because it's just like a never ending cycle of maybe you start something, you don't necessarily fear failure that much because the, um, the social mechanisms can kind of compensate for that and you're not stigmatized for, uh, yeah, your business venture having, uh, yeah, yet another unsuccessful business or your arts project was uh, completely destroyed by the critics and you never made any money or anything like that, which is the case in so many other societies that value the economy over the creative output. But here it's like, yeah, it's basically a fairy tale for adults, like some of my friends like to uh, describe it. And it's a very specific energy that I really thrive from and truly appreciate. So for me, yeah, there's no doubt that no other place uh, in Germany, maybe, yeah, I don't know if somewhere else at some point, I think I will move somewhere else. But for now, yeah, this is okay. Uh, it's very good. I think one crucial point that you mentioned, like uh, what you're saying is fantastic. And now, sorry, Nick, but I'd rather move to Berlin than to Canada. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. uh, but uh, what uh, was very important for me, at least, that you mentioned is uh, the conscious effort uh, that pretty much the government and the people as well put into this. So for me, this kind of shows that um, uh, if this is coming from the government, if if the authority makes an effort to make the society accepting and equal and uh, helping and open-minded, then it can uh, change or at least affect the people's attitudes uh, as well. So my question basically uh, for you, uh, Norbert, is uh, do you feel the same? So do you have like this conscious effort coming from uh, the Spanish uh, government as well? And in what ways can you see that? So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that into like the LGBT topic because that's where I can that's how I can answer this question. For example, um, I used to live in a big town that was more 
Uh, that was not on the coast. I live on the southern coast in in Andalusia, and before I I still lived in Andalusia, but it was a, a city that was more inland, and it's a city of three hundred thousand people, and it's the same situation there and the same situation here where I currently live, which is a coastal village of six thousand people. Big difference. And it's the same thing. Like you can walk hand in hand with a guy. You can walk hand in hand with a girl, girl on girl, guy on guy, whatever you want. Nobody's going to look at you. Nobody's going to say anything. It's the most natural thing in the whole universe. And the mayors of towns are the first ones in the pride, um, pride festivals or the pride marches. Like they are there, politicians, they are there, they have their Instagram accounts and they're posting about pride and they're into like the whole um, movement into making things as liberal and open as possible. So yes, it is a conscious effort. And I just think that's like coming, me coming from Hungary, from a country who's super anti everything, I'm sorry to say, but anti everything, that's a very big thing. So true and so important you're saying that, Norbs. I was thinking the same. I'm uh, an ally of the LGBTQ plus uh, community everywhere and I'm following some um, organizations back home in Bulgaria. Of course, it's June, it's Pride Month, so everyone is posting about it, everyone's launching campaign and preparing for Pride. And the only politicians that I see who are actually supporting the local Pride are the foreign ambassadors, and not a single Bulgarian politician has spoken up and uh, appreciated or welcomed the community. So, yeah, I can fully relate and agree with what you are saying, and that's not normal. So, until that's the case, we can live in places where, where yeah, we're actually free to be whatever we want to be. Mm, yep. interesting i interesting. think that was a perfect closing sentence <laughs> that was i didn't i was going to ask another question but i think that's so powerful mm -hmm. and something to also ponder because across the world sometimes we forget that too like different pockets of the world will have different things being middle eastern this conversation's a lot different that part of the world being canadian this conversation is a lot more evident or a lot more exposed so I guess that kind of talks on the topic of what we're doing is here is expatism diversity. And for those of you that don't know, it's diversity month here at MindSpark as well. So this is um, and one of the reasons we're doing this conversation is because everyone sitting here has a lot to offer um, in terms of their di diverse, different, um, specialized, and I'd say unique stories or backgrounds. So on that note, I just want to say a big thank you to both our guests, Katerina and Norbert. You were both amazing. Round of virtual applause, which you can't hear. Um, thank you so much for me. Yeah, here we go, a little clap. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to have you two as our first guests on this podcast. Hopefully we'll have you back again um, sometime soon, maybe later this month. There's lots to talk about here at MindSpark. For all the guests, please visit our website check out all the cool stuff we have going on on there um, lots of good things to come out for this month we have some fintech stuff from last month that you should definitely indulge in in the meantime take care of yourselves and thanks again guys